Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli. I'm Lorelai Weissel. And I'm Chris Delano. All right, I'm tired. That's it for this episode. Goodbye, folks. All right, thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos cast. No, so today we are going to talk about the world of Zendikar. I know we just talked about Double Masters, but Zendikar is right around the corner. Did we really even talk about Double? I don't think we did Not Double really. Masters anything. Did, didn't you do a Flavor Gems episode while I was away? No. Oh, what do you mean when you were away? When I was Did off you're... for an episode. Wait, wait, what's Double Masters? I only know anything about magic that's discussed on this podcast. <laughs> oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. Shoot, shoot, shoot. Okay, well, today we're going to talk about the world of Zendikar, the plane we are returning to for the third time this September. Uh, 10 years, is it, is it 10 or is it 11 years after it first premiered and five years after we were there last time in 2015? I feel so old that Battle for Zendikar was five years ago. Zendikar, the original Zendikar, I remember being super excited for because I had gotten into magic like a year and a half beforehand. And so I was still like every new set was like a fresh high for me. And I would stay up till like midnight to refresh the um, uh, refresh the Mothership homepage to see what the previews for the day are going to be. Anyway. Yes, uh, I I came back to Magic in uh, Conflux, so Zendikar was, the original Zendikar was the first full block from when I returned to Magic. Uh, it's very, very good, very good world, very good set, uh, very enjoyable, and it's uh, kind of the feeling and tone we're returning to in Zendikar Rising. Eldrazi are dead, we are back to Zendikar as Adventure World. And that's so, very exciting yeah uh yeah no it's uh i i wrote for this set um it's very cool i'm very excited for previous season very excited for us to get on the other side of previous season so i can actually talk about things um <laughs> uh there's a lot of cool stuff going on but uh to to kind of prep for all that we are kind of catching everyone up with zendikar because not everyone was playing when it was adventure world and not everyone was playing when it was war against the eldrazi world so uh, that's me on both parts uh, i came back to magic for scars of mirrodin and then left for a while and came back uh, after oath of the gatewatch so i was not there for zendikar or for battle for zendikar but i will be there for battle for battle for zendikar no battle for return to zendikar rising so the world of zendikar uh is divided up into seven continents uh, which we'll talk about here today. Today we're literally talking about the world and the world building. Uh, but one notable feature of the world is the Royal, which is this massive world-shaking event, or world-waking event, uh, that hits the plane all over on a regular, ongoing basis. It takes different forms. It makes physics go amok. It makes the elements go crazy. Um, and it just makes building permanent settlements impossible in most of Zendikar. So, so while while every plane is cosmologically alive, they all have world souls. Zendikar, like the land itself, is alive. Uh, elementals rise out of the ground freely. the The world is a living world, and the royal is described as kind of the immune system response of the plane itself. If there is there is a bad thing on Zendikar, the royal gets really whiny about it, like it's breaking out in hives. And um, it is kind of the the core danger, natural danger, I should say, uh, in this world. 
it uproots villages, it creates canyons out of mountains, it sculpts seas and uh, floods beaches, and uh, it's it's a hassle. And and so it's it's kind of the the main thing that contributes to Zendikar being the adventure world. Um, I think I think kind of the original idea was that it's sort of D and D esque, where you have like adventurers kind of and like indiana jonesy where you have adventurers going for like lost relics and powerful treasures and heaps of gold and rare magical items and stuff that will you know get lost one day you'll find a treasure trove and the next day the royal will have it on the other side of a river or something it's all kinds of stuff happens there's all sorts of cool stuff all over the plane one of the big focal points of the last two zendikars was Akum, which is the first continent we're going to talk about today. Now, Akum is kind of the arid desert lava. Um, if you know Shiv on Dominaria, it's a lot like Shiv. It is the tectonically unstable, uh, lots of magma, um, all that good stuff, and a giant mountain range in which is located the teeth of Akum in the highest peaks. Um, this is like the most treacherous mountain range on all of Zendikar and deep inside there is where three planeswalkers, um, in ancient times built the keystone for the Hedron network that would bind the Eldrazi to Zendikar. And that's the eye of Ugin. Yeah. We're going to talk, uh, kind of the stories that happen on Zendikar. The, the history is, is going to be, uh, probably next week we have. Some schedule flexibility coming up, but it'll probably be next week. It'll be an upcoming episode. But uh, yeah, uh, there is there is a small forest um, on Akum, but it is near the coast and it's very small. Uh, it is it is mostly volcanoes or deserts, as Jay said, uh, or just like rocky fields. Um, the, uh, the spike fields cover much of the continent. Uh, guess why they're called the spike fields? Uh, is it because that's where the um, spike creature type is? Correct. No, that is uh, false. Because there are a bunch of volcanic Wrong, formations You're fine. Uh, eroded into giant spikes, and uh, it's very dangerous. Uh, but like we said, the the royal prevents kind of large permanent cities from being built for the most part, and the result is that people tend to be on the move. So Akuma is the continent where we find Goma Fada, which is this caravan city. It's a caravan so large that um, it functions like its own community and village and metropolis. There are people on foot, people on wagons, gigantic beasts of burden dragging entire buildings behind them. They are nomads who just kind of zip around Akum because it's a really harsh place to live. Akum is also where the Eldrazi devastation was the greatest because that's where they were imprisoned and that's where they were released from. But after they passed, lots of things were uncovered, including these stone havens, um, which were reinforced by lithomancers with hedrons and stuff, uh, in order to create new fortresses and safe havens on Zendikar, basically behind where the Eldrazi had already eaten. Um, the most prominent of those is a place called Ghostwatch, where uh, a remnant of these strange elves called the Moldaya and some core have uh, defended the place, but there's also uh, Slab Haven, which is where the Tuk Tuk tribe of goblins has uh, 
taken up residence because they had the idea that if the Eldrazi are already gone, why don't we live where they've already finished with? And when they were when they were done with Akum, they kind of cut across the adjacent continent called Balaged. Um, this is the kind of I almost use the word rural, but that is a bad word to use on a world that really doesn't have any urban areas. Um, it is kind of the the continent with the most um, wilderness. I will tentatively use that word. It's uh, covered almost entirely in a gigantic jungle. And Is uh, it? Huh? Is it still covered in a gigantic jungle? I mean... We'll see with the new set. <laughs> Uh, it, it got really, it got hit really hard, um, by Ulamog, but, uh, you know, we, we see a little bit of Balaged in Battle for Zanakar, and it's pretty desolate, and, um, there's not a lot of settlements, it's mostly populated by elves, the, uh, main location that you may recognize, especially if you play Commander, is, um, the Bajuka Bay, from the card Bajuka Bok, because the bay itself isn't, like, a nice happy place where you go sailing boats it is a huge swampy inlet and uh not really a good place to go to the beach stinky <laughs> it's it's also the home of nissa ravain's tribe of elves the jiraga uh as well as well maybe the former home we'll see if uh when zendikar returns if they have moved back in or how many jiraga are even left uh, the Moldaya also originated from here, and they are constantly uh, fighting off incursions from their vampiric neighbors in Guldraz, which is the next continent we're going to talk about. So Guldraz, uh, much of it's uh, covered in a huge swampland called the Hagra Swamp. Um, the largest settlement there is also the largest settlement in the world, uh, which is the Vampire City of Malakir. It's divided into five districts, each ruled by a different vampiric bloodline. Um, so some of them you might recognize as the Nurkana, uh, the Calastria districts. Um, there's the Emervera district, the Ernav district, and the Get district. So some characters you might recognize. Um, Drana is uh, one of the blood chiefs from Calastria, I think. Calastria, whatever mm-hmm. you say it. Um, so that's one built on the highest ground in the swamp land. It's the only one safe from floods. Get, which is who's the Get character? I forget his name off the top. Kalidas. Well, he was Kalitas. Yeah. Well, he's he hasn't been killed on screen. So Kalitas uh, was the blood chief of Get. I think they were the last two blood chiefs. So we have to see exactly how the the vampires will have organized themselves again after the Eldrazi, and whether or not they've rebuilt Malakir. There's a small city called Nimana, which is basically a, a city of uh, thieves. There's, you know, the the no greater hive of scum and villainy kind of place where it's it's just a lot of criminals who do a lot of criminal activity and trade with some spies and assassins and all those fun fellows. Spies and assassins. Yeah, they're also they call themselves the free city, even though most of their leaders are kind of in debt to various vampiric uh, overlords. So next up is across a narrow sea from um, what did you talk about? Guldraz. So across a narrow sea from Guldraz is Tazim, which was the focus of the battle for Zendikar block. 
So Tazim is notable for having a huge inland sea um, surrounded on three sides by cliffs and uh, walled off from the main ocean by a giant dam or giant seawall called Seagate, which you might remember from Battle for Zendikar. I the prefer lighthouse... to call it a dam because then that sounds funny, like we're saying a swear. Oh, God, that damned Seagate. Um, <clears throat> oh, it certainly was damned, wasn't it? Uh, well, we've already seen images of uh, Seagate looking better. That's so, true. So the the most famous location here is the lighthouse at Seagate, which is the center of learning on all Zendikar. It's Zendikar's uh, Talarian Academy, if you will. Um, anyone who's anyone, any scholar who's anyone has studied at the lighthouse. Even Chase. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, the mouth of the Umara River, which feeds the Halimar Sea, um, runs all the way up into the highlands of Tazim, where you'll also find places like the Oran Reef Forest. Uh, and along that uh, that river is where you'll find various merfolk enclaves, uh, such as Coral Helm, which is where most of merfolk retreated during the Eldrazi invasion. If you two were disappointed by the blue member of the, uh, for some reason, not legendary land cycle in the original Zendikar, uh, Magosi, the water veil, is a giant waterfall along that river. The uh, the retreat to Coral Helm really worked out well for them because uh, once they had that, they could play a land and untap the Knight of the Reliquary. And then they could tap the Knight of the Reliquary and sacrifice a Forester Plains and get another land and then untap the Knight of the Reliquary. It worked out great. They built like a giant Knight of the Reliquary. So the Oran Reef is uh, called a reef because it is actually a rock reef forest uh, with this substance very similar to coral that can grow over 100 feet tall. And there the vegetation like can basically explode on you. Like the card explosive vegetation <laughs> is literally set in this forest uh, when the light it's touches not. it. Isn't it? Hold it's on. It's Crosa. <laughs> uh yeah that well that all right from onslaught uh <laughs> isn't there like a didn't there isn't there like a version from uh it got reprinted in dragons of tarkir so no <laughs> so it was in standard was in the car and a key part of the ulamog ranks, that's what I, but... that's what i'm remembering yeah okay well whatever uh otherwise in tazim there is uh a giant floating sky ruin called uh emiria uh which is kind of outside um seagate the its actual location is kind of described vaguely it's it's in the skies above tazim um yeah so, that's fair you know yeah. mm -hmm. Z zendigar has a lot of vertical landscapes like you know the teeth of akum reach high into the sky above the rest of the continent um maria is literally floating ruins above the continent and this is in those floating ruins is where the zendikari retreated uh, when Ulamog destroyed Seagate. So that's where they had kind of created their one safe haven floating up above the Eldrazi, uh, for a little while at least. Next up we have Andu, which is, uh, it, it's in, in the teeth of Akum. It's where we find Nyssa living among a different tribe of elves called the Tajuru. Um, and on Andu, uh, it's notable for a few things. It's surrounded by the Salindi Sea, um, but its main, the, the majority of it is covered by the Turntimber Forest, 
Uh, it's like a big temperate forest as opposed to the jungles of Balaged. Uh, Grey Pelt, which you've probably seen on cards, is a settlement on the edge of the forest where like humans and elves will trade with um, merfolk. Um, elsewhere, uh, to the west of Turn Timber is the prison of Omnath. Uh, there was a binding circle there where Omnath was imprisoned inside the Soul Stair, which you've probably seen the card Soul Stair Expedition. Uh, he was freed during the uh, Eldrazi's release or at some point around it and has been wreaking havoc, quickly working himself up to uh, a third card. Um, <clears throat> and we've seen images of him for the new Zendikar set. So that's very exciting. Uh, no comment. <laughs> All I can say, we've seen him on packaging. Um, the McKindy Trenches are these high canyons that crisscross the continent um, they're like these very deep canyons that the core, uh, traverse on their pilgr- pilgrimages yeah, there, all around there, the plane. There are, there are a lot of big flat mesas. Um, the core, is this the largest core settlement? So, so Cliffhaven is kind of a, um, I guess I'll call it a city where there are a lot of loose, uh, sometimes temporary yeah, the cliff places havens. to live, yeah. uh, kind of lashed right along the sides of the cliffs or floating rocks or whatever. And so it's it's kind of one of, one of the few places where core kind of settled down. Uh, off the coast of Andu are a few notable places. There's the southernmost isle of Agadim, uh, which is home to Kabira, which you might have seen in Kabira Crossroads, um, which is also where I believe the expeditionary house is located. Uh, there uh, are expeditionary houses all over. Uh, I believe one is in Kabir. Kabir is like a small The Andu. Yeah, the Andu yeah. expeditionary um, house is there. There's like one Kibir, for every continent. Yeah. Um, Agadim is also neat. There's a lot of hedrons on Agadim that um, like like the, the sheer density of hedron deposits on the island is, is why Kabir is there. It was kind of founded as a place like people kept coming to study uh, the Hedron's there, and we're like, hey, we can't keep traveling back and forth. Let's set up a camp. And then more and more people came to the camp, and then Kabir is there. So uh, near uh, near Agadim is Bein, B-E-Y-E-E-N, because it's uh, <laughs> I can't understand <laughs> what I'm saying when I say Bein. Bein. It's like Bayonne. And- but with Ean. The it's a volcanic island. Uh, this is where Valakut, the molten pinnacle, is. Uh, in a, in very, a mountain chain called the Crown of Talib, which is uh, the core name for Kozilek, right? Yes, I believe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I always, I, I, the, the, the core Merfolk names ones, are the ones that are furthest from the real names. Yeah, the Merfolk are easy to remember. Kosa Uli and uh, Kosi Ula and Ameria because they're close to the actual planes named the. It's uh, Talib, and I don't remember the other two, but Talib is Kozlek. So the, the the mountains kind of remind them of his pointy crown. So, hold on, let me pull up the right thing again. The um, Also notable on Bain is that's where Zulaport used to be located. Uh, once the Eldrazi invasion occurred, it became a floating city, um, kind of like the... Uh, the floating city of the pirates in um on ixalan high and dry high and dry thank you yeah uh there's one more island off the coast of andu Dwar isle which is the isle of secrets it's where the sphinxes live 
It is also kind of like Zendikar's Easter Island because it has these stone fadoon that uh, m- are like mimics essentially of uh, the indigenous people of Easter I- Eastern Island statues. They're they're giant stone heads without the dragon there. Yeah, um, they're like the Moai. Um, yeah, Draw Isles hard to get to, so people don't venture there a lot because they don't like dying. <laughs> people like to live, wouldn't you know it? Uh, judging based off of current events that's kind of questionable no people on zendikar they're better oh, yeah people on zendikar definitely want to keep living it's fiction chris it's fiction <laughs> um another continent that uh is essentially magic's australia is marasa uh which is this high walled island continent where like there are only like four ways to get in without climbing up like a thousand feet of rock there's is it really only four there's uh, there's the one tunnel that goes to the Vampire City. There is a uh, one passage that goes through a bunch of mesas. Uh, there is the Cliffs of Kazul. So there's Glint Pass, which is a huge, huge sea cave, yeah. uh, which leads you through to this Vampire City where the vampires are there for shady reasons. No one really knows why. Uh, called Visimal, the Hidden City. Uh, there is Na Plateau, um, yeah. which I believe that's where it leads you out to. There's the yeah, Thunder there's, Gap, there... which brings you to this River Rapids. There's the Cliffs of Kazul, which you mentioned, but it's controlled by um, Kazul. <laughs> who is yeah, in... uh, Na, Na Plateau is um, be, uh, lead, leads down. There's a river that flows through um, down through Kazandu, which is a gigantic forest with freaking gigantic trees in it. Um, Th- Thunder Pass is the one that goes through the maze. Right. Thunder Bay uh, is home to this maze of Haribaz trees, or what they're called. There are these giant... What do you call those um, trees that live in the water? Mangroves? Mangroves. Yeah, they're basically these giant mangrove trees. That's is where the uh, capital of the Tajuru elf nation is. Yeah, so uh, we, we, mentioned, we mentioned the two elf nations that mostly stick to Balaga. The Tajuru are kind of everywhere. Uh, that elves are on Zendikar, um, but this is kind of their seat of power. Uh, Sunder Bay is also notable for being the home of Lorthos. May he rest in peace. Pieces. There's multiple. <laughs> I hate you, Chris. You're fired. Uh, also within um, Marasa are places like the Singing City, which is this mysterious maze of structures. No one knows what they're there for. Uh, but like as the wind passes through, it makes all this music and causes goblins to go insane. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on in Marasa for a place we haven't actually ever visited in a story. So you mean it, it makes goblins go insane? Can you, <sighs> can, you, uh, can you point that out to me whenever we get to D&D on Zendikar again? Just for future reference. They're song-mad goblins, yes. yes okay, yes. Yeah, don't do that to um, smart Chris. I'm going to keep that well, in mind. There's also Shatterskull Pass, which uh, is one of the few quote-unquote safe places in Marasa. Uh, as long as you go when the giant floating rocks aren't smashing up and down on the earth. Because they will shatter your skull. Get it? That's how they named it. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh. Alright, so the last continent uh, is Sajiri, which is essentially their Arctic cap. It's chilly. It's, and, it's chilly up there. Uh, There's not much else to say about it. <laughs> there's... This is why I was like, I can't really call Balaged the wilderness one, because almost nobody lives on Sajiri. There's uh, Ikral, I believe is the name of like the one main settlement there. But it's yes. mostly it's mostly just like, 
adventuring houses as a place for adventurers to rest while they explore the Arctic wilderness. Um, and there's Benthedrix, the, uh, the, the merfolk underwater Arctic colony. Well, it's a lost city. Yes. So. Yes. Uh, and, uh, uh, last we learned Sajiri was destroyed by Kozilek because a, a bunch of Sajiri merfolk, uh, talked to Kiora in the Battle for Zendikar stories. So you mean their, their polar ice caps were destroyed by this massively destructive, but totally preventable disaster? Uh, no, they have one continent in the pole and, uh, it was destroyed by an unpreventable disaster because, uh... People got petty about things. That's pretty much the only reason the Eldrazi escaped. <laughs> we can talk about that next week. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the cultures on um, on Zendikar. Uh, they are kind of, they're not really aligned with any specific place, uh, or at least the peoples of Zendikar aren't. Like, they're spread out all over. Uh, the core, in particular, are a very nomadic people. They're all... They are very skilled uh, rope workers. They're very good with like um, grapples and grappling hooks. I I want to note that somebody wrote on our agenda under rope work, but not the sexy kind. And then underneath that, maybe. Uh, that was not me. So it must have been Chris. Was what? me. So it must have been Chris. It Chris, could have this, definitely been Jay or Lorelai. Chris, Chris, this is a family show. Uh, you're fired. And uh, with Chris gone, now we can talk about core titty cheese. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> because thank you in the teeth of a comb for making it a fact that core make cheese out of their own breast milk uh, because it just kind of curdles in their milk pouches when they're adventuring. That's a that's a thing that is true. What I want to know is if it's like a soft spreadable cheese or if it's like the kind that, you know, you kind of have to slice, maybe use like a, a shaver for or if this is kind of like a ricotta consistency, where it's so sort of the like core a... are uh, they're they're known for their pilgrimages, following these journeys that they're not really sure why anymore. Uh, Nahiri is a famous core from Zendikar. Uh, we'll talk about her history a little later, but she is uh, an ancient core. Um, so her perspective is a little bit different from the core who have lived for for millennia with the royal um, and with their more nomadic way of life the uh the core are really close to the land they have what's called the land bind ritual where they return to spiritual places uh here and there they're they're a, a lot of the core nomads kind of go from spiritual place to spiritual place and do these land bind rituals to kind of get closer to the land and remind themselves oh that's <laughs> I forgot that humans live on Zendikar. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was typing humans into our peoples of Zendikar thing, and Glorilei was like, oh yeah, <laughs> people. We have to talk uh, about the humans for a very important reason. Very briefly. Very More briefly. about the core. Um, I mean, that's kind of all I had on the core. Well, I mean, at some point they got to Wrath, right? So, the, so Mark Rosewater has said that in an offhand comment, but I would like to remind everyone... Uh, that what Mark Wurzwater says in his blog or on panels does not necessarily equate to canon. Yeah, if if there's a, a fact about lore anything and the only sources Mark Rosewater said it offhand somewhere, don't believe it. Uh, it this might be where the core that the Phyrexians kidnapped were from, but we do not know It's that. certainly an interesting idea. Uh, so the merfolk of the plane um, are separated right now or at least in battle for zendikar into the uh into places like coral helm or the tikal harborage uh on tazim 
There are wandering nomadic um, uh, merfolk as well. They used to believe in three deities called Emiria, Ula, and Kosi. Uh, the one that I really want to note are the Kosi worshippers. Kosi in the merfolk lore was a trickster deity uh, that uh, a lot of the more tricky merfolk, like uh, one of our podcast's favorite uh, planeswalkers, Kiora, is a uh, or was a believer in, and it's more of like a cultural thing. They're like the. I don't know that Kiora like was terribly religious. Uh, she has a line um, that's repeated a couple times in Battle for Zendikar Black stories, where uh, she mentions, uh, "I love cozy stories." Uh, that is kind of where she gets a lot of her personality from. But I don't, I don't know that she was like devout believer in anything. It's more like an. Ag- she's more like an agnostic cultural. She's not a believer, but she's like in the cozy in the trickster culture of the Murpho. She she's like a Christmas and Easter cozy creed Murpho. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. That's a perfect description. Uh, we also have the vampires of the plain, who are oh, and the core. I should mention the core also had three gods: Kamsa, Mangeni, and Talib, uh, which also corresponded to the three Eldrazi. So how their religion will shake up after Battle for Zendikar remains to be seen, both them and the merfolk. Well, they had a chance to meet their gods. Yeah, and some of them, uh, like a, a certain core cleric I won't mention, is um, uh, decided to change her, her faith to believe in the true gods that revealed themselves. So there might be a little bit of that going on, too. Her name's Ailey. <laughs> so maybe Ailey's on to something there. She... She's a member of a group called the Eternal Pilgrims. Uh, it's a whole thing. <laughs> uh, now that the, the Eldrazi are gone, it'll be interesting to see if we see the Eternal Pilgrims again anywhere. Anyway, vampires. Now that we've Vampires. That so vampires are like the oldest, uh, most powerful culture on the plane. Um, they, like we mentioned Malakir and how they ha- each have, each blood chief has a different district. They were created by Ulamog, so, whether intentionally or not. Hold you, you said words, and words mean things, Jay. They are not the oldest culture on the plane. They are the longest lived people, uh, but they are the youngest culture on the plane because they did not arise naturally here. They were uh, changed and corrupted humans uh, from the Eldrazi imprisonment. So they longest uh, continuous culture. Yes, uh, they haven't changed a lot because uh, you know there are blood chiefs who were born early in vampire culture that are still alive or potentially still alive. Well, we know Dranus survives the war, so at least one is still alive. So the blood chiefs are the only vampires on the plane who can create new vampires. Uh, everyone else, lower in the bloodline. Uh, can only create nulls, which are the zombies you see on Zendikar, the most common kind of zombies. Um, <clears throat> there's, it's going to be interesting to see how they how they shake up uh, after the Eldrazi are gone. Uh, Drana is clearly the most powerful vampire on the plane. Uh, not a lot of blood chiefs to oppose her, at least not a lot of original blood chiefs left to oppose her. Yeah, it'll be interesting. So the vampires tended to stick to themselves um, a lot as a culture. And during the Battle for Zendikar, Drana allied with, you know, the allies, uh, the the allied army of Zendikar. And that was the first time really that vampires and the other cultures of Zendikar got along. And uh, the fallout of that will be interesting. I just want to know what happened to Rayami. Well, he's dead. Yeah, but like, what happened? Well, he died. 
That's usually yeah, how you like, become dead. But what happened? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's a secret. <laughs> so uh, there are also a number of goblin tribes on Zendikar. Uh, the most famous are the Tuk-Tuk goblins who are led by a golem goblin golem that was created as a result of <laughs> a, magic. A, a golem goblin, not a, a golem golem. A goblin. <laughs> let's just call him a goblin. Like, let's let's. You know, we call him lunch now because he's dead. <laughs> uh, there's also the Lava Steps, who uh, were the most warlike goblin tribe. Uh, they have been kind of driven underground. Um, there's also like a Lost Tribe, uh, the Grotag, who were basically wiped out by the Eldrazi. And I'm not clear exactly if the Lava Step have become those kind of eyeless, monstrous um Underdark dark goblins, dwellers. essentially. The dark, the dwar- dark goblin dwellers. dark dwellers. Uh, but there's also a different breed of goblins there as well. Yeah, the, the dark dwellers are goblins who were driven underground. Um, I don't think they're necessarily associated with a tribe. The The goblins of Zendikar originally looked very similar to goblins of Dominaria and elsewhere. Uh, there was a creative shift with them along with... Uh, I think goblins often got changed the most whenever we come back to a plane. Uh, yeah, they were drawn pretty, pretty generically for a long time, even after other species were diversified in art. So a, a, a lot of returns have said, hey, our goblins should look unique to this world. Let's redesign our goblins. So that is the thing that happened with Zendikar. So the big redesign is they had uh, these uh, stone-like carapaces uh, that have grown on their foreheads and down their back in some cases. Uh, the canon lore explanation for that is uh, they've added a lot of hedrons to their diet, which has effect that affected them, um, metaf- uh, affected their biology, essentially. Anatomically. Um, anatomically, thank you. They, uh, uh, they grind them up and make smoothies. You know, and we have the very divergent uh, dark dwellers as well, who don't have eyes anymore and have larger ears. Um and, and bigger noses and mouths. How? The, <laughs> the elves, we've mentioned the three tribes already. The Maldaya, who have mostly been wiped out. We don't know exactly. They're, they're the, they were already the smallest tribe. They were the most insular. Uh, there were the Draga, who were fairly xenophobic. Um, but with vampires for neighbors, it's, it's, that's going to happen to a culture. Uh, and the Tajuru, who were spread out all over the plain um, and have survived the best from the Eldrazi. Yeah, pr- pr- pretty loosely, the Tajuru are the big adventurers and warriors and, and diplomats of the elves. The Joraga are the druids and the animists, and the uh, Moldaya are the ancestor-worshipping spirit summoners and shamans. And oracles. Yes. The Joraga... Um, I'd be interested to see that af- after this, they, they re-embrace animism. Because before, like, Nissa's origin story has animists uh, among their culture being verboten, essentially. Uh, yeah, N- Nissa is the last animist of the Draga. So real quick, I also wanted to mention humans on the plane. Um, there are humans everywhere. Uh, as Literally what- everywhere. As as one uh, particular Vidalkin doctor in the original Ravnica block puts it, humans just, just get everywhere, get their DNA and everything and everywhere. Ooh, uh, gross. <laughs> gross. So just keep a human religion. Human religion is uh, like it is on most planes, uh, angel centric. 
Um, they believe they well they believed in M being this um, all powerful deity uh, or or master angel, uh, and then angels like Iona and um, what's the other big one? Linvala uh, were these sort of archangels um, under that in their theology. Uh, the reality is that uh, Iona was kind of guarding M the 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 sky ruin there. And Linvala, we've never seen in a story, so I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Those are all the major cultures in Zendikar. There are a number of smaller groups of humanoid folks. Uh, you know, so we mentioned the angels. The angels exist and uh, are a thing in Zendikar. They are doing angel thingies. A lot of them are warriors. There are also minotaurs. They largely live in the Shatterskull Pass. So uh, what, what was that card? Lord of Shatterskull Pass, I think, was one of, one of the cards from the original black. Anyway, uh, so there's Minotaurs. Uh, the Minotaurs on Zendikar are pretty big. Uh, there are also giants. There are two main types. There's the giants that just look like really big humans. There's also giants called Herdas, which are way less intelligent and mostly used as beasts of burden. They walk on their big, beefy arms and have tiny little legs. There are the amphibian Surakar, which are intelligent enough to be sapient and sentient and all that, but they are like kind of stone age technology. They're not really uh, that um, big on like tool making or organized societies or anything. They, they just live in a bunch of slimy caves. There are ogres. So uh, we mentioned um, the Kazul Pass that is uh, named for Kazul, who is an ogre who uh, guards the pass and exacts tolls. In either money or blood. Uh, blood by, like, kicking you off a cliff when you don't have money. <laughs> it's very nice. It's not very nice. I lied. <laughs> uh, somebody wrote Bruise, Daddy Bruise, Tarl on here. Uh, yeah, it was Chris. Who else was it going to be? I mean, you Bruce you didn't Tarl. have humans on there when I first wrote him on there. <laughs> he needed to be included. He He's a human. He is with uh, the Gomafada caravan. He got a card in Commander. Finally, he he's, he's known for the pillar field ox flavor text. Uh, he's a he's a flavor text character who got a legendary creature card. Uh, he has uh, five cards with flavor text and pillar field ox has two versions. So he's been on a lot of flavor text. That's the, that's the most famous one that he is known for, which is why there's a pillar field ox in his cards. art. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that about does it for uh, the world of Zendikar in general. Next time, we're going to talk about how Zendikar got to be a world with this massive royal and this Eldrazi pest problem. And the Hedrons. Like, I don't, we didn't really like say much about the Hedrons in this episode because they're everywhere. More, they're more pertinent for the story episode, but they're literally just everywhere on the plane. They built a whole network, a plane wide network of them, and they're over the years, they've fallen out of alignment and uh now they're just there they're they're just part of the landscape yeah what's interesting is going to be now that their purpose is like completely over you know the eldrazi are dead or gone is how they factor into the world and the um the cultures of the plane yeah I, you know like i said I'm, I'm really excited for zendikar rising preview season there are a lot of questions to think about you know i me being who i am i approach to the set with hey what are some of these questions that we are going to have about what zendikar looks like after the eldrazi and where are places we can maybe answer some and 
we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'm it's it's cool stuff. You know, one thing we didn't discuss was which group of the vampires are the ones with the blue skin. What? Yeah, the blue skinned vampires like Anawan. Oh God. <laughs> chris why why do you do this to me you know you know it's just swear to god chris are they somehow connected to the purple people on dominaria that's what i really you know what that is a new conspiracy i'm all for i don't i don't what do you mean by blue skin vampires i don't understand no there are like the um the old web comic with anawan and Chandra, where, where he, he gets has, punched in the face. It's the best panel in the entirety of the webcomic series. Yeah. He has he has blue skin in some of it. Like well, it's beca- it's meant to be because having the pallid vampire skin pulls up the blue tones because you don't have blood underneath it. Mm-hmm. That's what they would definitely say if they're trying to cover something up. Like how the blue skinned vampires mated with the red skinned goblins of Kamigawa, and that's how we got the purple people on Dominaria. All right, final thoughts. <laughs> my final thought is this past week by the time you're listening to this was my first week as a stay-at-home dad uh where i am doing three days a week i am doing daddy preschool with arjun um and the other two days if i can uh my parents are watching them so i can do writing and other projects uh but yeah it's uh it's 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 been an interesting experience let me tell you uh hopefully he will be reading by the end of the year um he is already got sight words and we're blowing through some of these phonic book phonics books remind me to get you a copy of test of metal so that yeah, he can have a good chapter book to read. <sighs> are, are they phonics books about sonic no but they should be god damn it that's brilliant like why isn't there sonic phonics honestly sonic's phonics I don't know. Some at at Sonic the Hedgehog talk to us. We've got ideas. That's like Mario teaches typing level of expert branding for learning stuff. My final thought this week is that I'm very tired. I don't have a final thought. I'm just tired. It's been a busy week. She tired. I want to go to sleep. I don't I don't know how tired I sounded this episode. I so we've recorded some episodes where I go to edit them and I'm like, holy crap, I sounded tired. I don't know if that's going to be this episode, but I'm pretty low energy and I just want to go to sleep. Uh, And my final thought is that the new League of Legends champion released today as of recording, Yone, the brother of Yasuo. Uh, If you are at all interested in League of Legends lore, we did a quick little rundown with Michael Yichao and on our Beyond the Multiverse series. And you can also find a lot of really cool stuff on this YouTube channel called Necrit, N-E-C-R-I-T. Great stuff. Definitely check that out. Beyond the Multiverse. And if you also love League of Legends and uh, want us to keep making League of Legends content, um, I'm sorry, but we're mostly a magic podcast. That was kind of a one-time thing. So if you want us to see, uh, if you want to see us make more magic content and and continue producing episodes, uh, you know, with the exception of last week when we had a week off because we're all exhausted because quarantine's hell, um, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthoscast and support our show starting this very moment. You could you could even do it while you're listening to me do this little plug at the end. And everyone who supports us on Patreon gets access to our Discord community where Vorthoses from around the world are having a great time hanging out, talking about all kinds of things, being a nice little community full of very nice folks. And, uh, you know, we, we've got a lot of people that make uh our little corner of the magic 
world a nice place to be. So if you're looking for a community like that to spend time with and engage with and hang out with and relax with, uh, you know, we would love to have you. So again, head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthoscast and help support us today. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthoscast.